Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Designing Futures podcast. This is Angela Yeh, and I hope you're doing well. It's fall here in New York City, and it's looking gorgeous with all the fall foliage starting to peek out. Though I must say, I'm definitely missing summer. In this week's podcast, we'll be listening to three talented designers discuss the importance of having a diversified portfolio. We have my friend Zoe Middleton, who is currently the senior product manager at Enjoy with over 19 years of experience in the consumer goods industry. We also have Michael Seeley, a fellow design leader who is currently a partner at Bright Innovations, as well as director and head of design for Home Valet. Moderating this panel's discussion is another dear friend of mine, Manali Mohanty, a globally trained design leader who co-founded Fossil Group's Incubator, a startup and special projects lab, where she also served as a creative director and designer for about 17 years. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Thanks for joining us today. I'm super excited to speak with you guys about uh, the topic of diversifying your portfolio and uh, speaking about the contrast between startups and corporations. Uh, so for those that are listening in, uh, I had a chance to speak with uh, Michael and Zoe the other evening and we were debating a little bit on this topic and we have some great talking points. So we're excited to have you guys here. Um, now, the thing that uh, Zoe, Michael, and I have in common is we've all worked in the industry a long time. <laughs> We're veterans, but besides that, we've had uh, really colorful and interesting career paths. Uh, we've worked in both uh, corporates and startups, and uh, we're all kind of in a process of navigating career pivots right now, um, which I imagine will add a lot more um, color commentary to this discussion. So I'd like to start off by talking a little bit about the topic of uh, career path as a ladder versus a jungle gym. Uh, this was an idea that you know I stumbled upon uh, several years ago, and it was so interesting to me because I'd always envisioned a uh, path, uh, you know, uh, as a very linear process. At least when I was younger. And then uh, the more I grew in the industry, and the more I moved around and did different things. I realized uh, from what a well-meaning mentor had shared with me is that more and more there's a uh, jungle gym. And the reason I bring this up is because, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you about, uh, you know, your paths. Uh, how did you move? Uh, how did you get your start in your careers? And then how did you move from corporate to startups or startup to corporate? Uh, so I'm going to uh, throw Zoe under the bus here and have her go first. Sure, no problem. Um, thank you, everybody. The EA ideology team, and, um, and then it kind of went back and forth from corporate to startup to corporate to startup uh, through various different industries, ranging from watches, as I've mentioned, in terms of starting off into anything and everything within an office supply store, uh, as well as into uh, designing computer bags, cases in back to school accessories for HP, Belkin, Lenovo. Um, and then I kind of transitioned into uh, back into the office industry, but integrating technology into uh, office, your standard office desk accessories and wall clocks, et cetera. Um, and now I've kind of took 
pivot from uh, standard consumer goods into wanting to learn more about the regulatory industry. What does it take to bring a product to market that has to have FDA approval and uh, government sign off? Um, so that's kind of where I am today as I've kind of have a large history with being able to bring a product to market within 60 to 90 days. And in this new position that I have, it takes on average a year. So this is a new learning curve and a great challenge for me in this current section of my career. Michael, would you like to? Yeah, my cue? Yeah, no, thank you. Hey, before we get started, I want to pause and Angela, thank you. Thanks to the Yeah Ideology team. Um, what a cool day. Like I've been sitting and in and out and been trying to really listen to these conversations and what a what a good, I'd say, group of panel discussion. And um, it's just exciting. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, to answer that question, um, you're right. It's a colorful kind of journey through a career. And, um, you know, most job hunters or headhunters or, or, or experts would tell you, don't go through your, your career in chronological order. Don't give them the A to the end. Um, but I got to be honest, for mine, I always challenge that because I felt like it was a really good introduction into how to establish foundational elements and starting out very early on launching lots of products learning the detail around what it means to that ongoing compromise between engineering and design or what it means to manufacture things 17 different ways um, in that initial phase and then once having that figured out stepping into that I'd say zooming out I think there were presentations earlier talking about zooming out and looking at the bigger picture and being able to understand what research and insights can do and discovering what setting a vision and a trajectory can do. Um, and not just setting the vision, but then having a very clean and cohesive way to get there, you know, in that strategy to achieve it. Um, and then, and then I'd, I'd say moving into a third section of the career, which was this, this brand world, which a, a very large part of my career in the, in the sense of knowing the ins and outs of the personality and and I'll use terms from earlier, the personas of these brands that, that exist. And I would say making sure there's cohesiveness, not just within categories, but across multiple categories, multiple um, regions, uh, internationally and nationally. Um, there was a lot of discussion earlier about, you know, um, cultural intelligence. So important, right? And so I'm, I'm listing these kind of foundational things that have been built slowly. Mm -hmm. And then I hit that moment, and Angela, you've been talking about it. I think we've all been talking about it all day where you reach a point in your career, well, wow, what, a, what, an, you know, what an opportunity with all of this change going on and everything happening to really understand um, what's going on. And that's where this big pivot comes and, and going out on your own to, um, somebody had said earlier, it might've been Gregor that was explaining, you know, becoming a teacher. And, and, and sharing the wisdom of all these experiences over so many years. And then getting so involved in finding out so many wonderful people in the startup and entrepreneurial world and, and making connections and it growing into this, you know, very extensive, I'd call it, you know, design and advisory roles. And now this kind of, I'll call it special assignment come, being asked to come on board and build a, a, a design and innovation group for a very fast, rapidly growing um, technology startup called Home Ballet. And, um, you know, it, it just gets very exciting. And I think um, it really comes down to what is what's valuable to you. And I can talk to you guys and know, and I love to bring in the reality, right? I left off the kind of fun facts from my end. Like I'm a happy father of three boys, you know, a husband and, and all of the stuff I could tell you that was going on today while I'm listening to design conferences and being able to take a conference from 
an environment that I control is wonderful. And, and being able to share the knowledge and wealth with others is, is a dream come true. So that's where I've come, you know, beginning to end in a very short, you know, to say a lot in a short amount of time, that's where I'm at. So. Designing Futures is brought to you by Yay Ideology, a talent strategy firm with a mission to help companies partner with the best design talent through corporate consulting and recruitment. So Ian, Michael, thanks so much for sharing uh, your journeys with us. And uh, to those that are listening in, I apologize for the echo. I was, advised, I was informed that there's a slight echo on my end. Uh, speaking of multitasking in a, in a crazy world, I'm actually calling in from San Jose, Costa Rica, where I moved a, year, a week ago. Uh, and uh, I'm on the 29th floor of a building. And uh, I'd like to say I also survived a major earthquake yesterday. So, so things are pretty crazy. But uh, coming back to where we were, um, you know, I love what you said, Michael, about making connections, you know, all these different trajectories that our career takes, but uh, along the way, you know, it's kind of a cumulative um, a collection of experiences and, and you know that that is invaluable there's you know and, and that's what makes it that much more rewarding uh when zoe uh you and i were talking the other evening you know uh one of the points that came up was about you know the similarities and differences between working for startups and corporations or larger organizations uh so i'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that um zoe what would you say are uh, you know, the differences between your experience working for large organizations, large corporations versus where you are at a startup right now? Yeah, sure. sure. Um, some of my experiences between the two are quite, start, uh, quite stark, right? So I would say my history with working with smaller companies, as I kind of touched on earlier, I could bring a product to market within 60 to 90 days for our customers. So very quick turnaround. I understand the deliverables of what the customer was looking for. Um, again, with some of the corporations that I've worked for in the past, um, and even now, it's very structured. Um, it's a little bit differently now for, because of the fact that I am working for a regular, a regulated company. Um, but when I worked for Office Depot um, and when I worked for Timex, I mean, it was very systematic. They had their timelines and they kind of moved in a, in a slower timeframe, but also they needed to get the approval from the board if this is a product that we wanted to move forward with in terms of type of innovations. And I think that with smaller companies, there's a lot more freedom to move faster for your customer. This is what you're looking for, no problem. I can have a sample for you um, within three, two days, you know, and sometimes with a, on a corporation side, that lag is a little bit different to get the processes in place to be able to go forward with new products. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can identify with that. Um, when I uh, founded, co-founded the incubator at Fossil Group, which was my previous employer, uh, I, I experienced a bit of both because we were um, a startup within a large organization. So we, are, we were entrepreneurs. And uh, so we were very stable because we were being funded by the large organization and we had the resources to delve into. But at the same time, we, you know, we, we were able to move nimbly and, uh, and faster and, you know, cut through some of the processes, the standard processes that were in place, um, because we were tasked with that. We were actually tasked with, you know, thinking radically and being more like a very nimble startup. Um, Michael, you had an interesting point about the similarities between the two, which, which are not talked about as much. Usually most people, you know, tend to focus on the differences. So I'd love to hear your insights on, you know, what that looks like, what this looks like. 
Yeah, it's funny because the three of us have had fun in our conversations. And I think <clears throat> the similarities that's really important here, it's been a theme all day. And it's, you know, whether you're big or small, change is inevitable, right? And, and I don't care who is on the call, who's not, how good you think you are at forecasting, even self-proclaimed being a part of that, nobody could have predicted the ramifications of the impacts that happened, right? Over this pandemic or, and I actually love earlier in the day, people were bringing up, you know, what happened on 9-11 or when 2008 came along and hit us all. Change is inevitable. And what I love about this group, this forum, and all of us as design leaders, innovators, our greatest strength is, is being able to deal with that change, right? With change comes uncertainty and having comfortable or being comfortable in ambiguity is, is probably the number one thing that both large organizations are looking for and small startup organizations are. You know, corporations are, are at a stage of trying to maintain things as change happens and, and, and startups trying to arrive and take capital on opportunity that's happening around the world. Um, but in reality, they're both trying to survive. And us as experts, just by nature, being able to find the beauty in uncertainty and the value of, you know, that fuzzy front end unknown and be kind of those, I heard the word change agents a lot today and I love it. I use it all the time. And I think it's, it's still so true. And it's because we're comfortable in the ambiguity and we're comfortable navigating. That's just the nature of what we do. And so now more than ever, both corporations and startups need that help on what to do next and, and feel comfortable in that very, very, what, Others like to consider scary, but I think a lot of us see that as as wonderful opportunity, because um, that's what we're used to, you know, weeding through what's what's unknown and not quite clear and defined yet. That's our job, and that's that's the biggest similarity between the two, is is needing us, you know, right? Needing needing somebody to amp, you know navigate that ambiguity. Yeah, um, you know, um, as I worked my way up the corporate ladder at the time and then moved into a jungle gym, um, you know, that, that's something that I realized was really um, valued within the corporation that I was at, um, Fortune 500 company. Uh, but I, I know, I mean, I know in smaller organizations, that's definitely something you need to bring. You need to wear a lot of different hats. And to, to be able to do that, you need to have that breadth of exposure, you know, be that T-shaped individual. Um, but, uh, but, you know, in order to thrive in a large organization, you, you also need to show that you, you are, um, even though things are much more siloed, as someone else had mentioned earlier today in the, in the talks, you need to also show that you have that adaptability, that you can adapt to different environments. And in fact, that's one way you could really grow within the organization. I mean, that definitely worked out for me. I was, uh, uh, there were times when I initiated um, certain uh, moves in my career where I took on bigger roles because I, I saw an opportunity and I jumped at it. And then there were times when I was tasked with it. So the innovation lab was, you know, something I initiated. The incubator was something I was tapped for. Um, so can we talk a little bit more about that you know just from a standpoint of employers and larger organizations and you know things they should consider as well as uh, you know even the younger uh, uh, designers who are you know uh, jumping into the fray now what are some, what are some lessons you can share from you know that perspective yeah no I definitely have to say that um, working for the smaller type companies gave me so much more exposure um, than having my experience in the corporate. 
Um, from this standpoint, because it was so small, I had visibility and quick access with the CEOs, the vice presidents. I understand what was going on and from the warehouse. I had to develop pricing, um, work in negotiating directly with the factories, um, being able to travel, not just to clients, but to the factories and see how the product was being made, negotiating, seeing the culture, um, visiting the various different types of trade shows. So I would like to call it, depending on which company that I was working for in, in my career. I mean, I kind of ran it as my own little company, right? Because I had to be involved in so many areas, not just from the ideation to launch, but then even post, right? So like tracking the sales, do we have too much inventory? It's time to reorder. Um, and I think that's a little bit different from the standpoint on the corporate side, because they really want you, if you're just tasked to be um, if you're a staff level designer or if you're head of design, you have a little bit more exposure, but you're still kind of in that little block section. Um, you still have visibility in some things, but you can't really, you know, you can give your opinion, but it's still being tasked by somebody else or another division. And I think that's one of the biggest areas. And I would just have to say for uh, those young designers and those who are not young designers, if you have the opportunity to work for a small company, I highly suggest that you do because you can get that visibility. And um, I think it's very beneficial in terms of really understanding, not just, oh, I can design something really cool, but you're understanding the full cycle and breadth of the product from beginning to end and then post that, right? Yeah, it's so funny. So I, you guys can probably see me grinning and even Manali grinning. So this is, I think, our favorite point and when, when I met everybody here um, and why I almost asked Angela, it's corporate versus startup and I didn't expect it to happen, but it's funny. We're gonna have a back and forth. That's where we can, you know, we have contrast. I, I can honestly say that I, I actually had the opposite experience and found that starting out with a very empowered, I guess, organization to explore, learn, grow. Uh, we talked about even travel as being one of those elements, um, being supplied with a massive budget. We're talking like half a million dollar budget at, at, at that, you know, certain points and tens of thousands of dollars to travel, see the world, become, you know, immersed in, in what opportunities exist around the world. It was wonderful. And, you know, as a young designer, being able to spend the time to focus on what needed to be do, what needed to be done correctly and, and uh, you know, focus on the trade as opposed to worrying about improving or teaching the process mm. is what I see as a, as a contrast in where I'm at even now is that in startup world, and I know they're all different, and I think it's actually a discussion of maturity in where those companies sit, but um, in some, in most of the startups I'm experiencing, the early, early initial phases are very messy. And not, it's meant to be, it's meant to be bubble gum and duct tape holding things together as you're working until you can get to the point of welding process and, and roles and responsibilities and things together. I mean, you're working as a team and you're, you're so diversified and experienced um, that I actually would suggest in some instances, because I've worked with interns and employer, you know, or employees in, in both spectrums. And I feel like the interns that I have in startups have this um, unknown. They're trying to come in and learn so much, but the process is so messy. It's very difficult to grab a hold of and focus on the output as it is like trying to maintain focus within the chaos, you know? And so um, I don't think one way is right. And I don't think one way is wrong. I think there's balance and understanding who you are. Uh, we talked about that, right? The three of us talked about making it who you are. And I think pursuing your, your personality in the right empowerment is, is super critical. You know, if you're somebody that needs a little bit of process and guidance, 
so that you can execute on some amazing core skills and expertise. And I would say, you know, start, start in the corporate. You've got a little bit of balance, you're empowered, you've got resources and individuals to bounce things off. But in startup, you know, if, if, you're, if you're confident in that, know how to do it and get it done, startups might be that, that thing. So um, I contrast, you know, I had, I mentioned some numbers, like I had, I had, you know, uh, like I said, half a million dollar budget, I could throw $80,000 at a prototype in one year, or even in one quarter and say, I need to do it. And it would be no problem. I would kill for that now, even with a very successful group and the way we're at and everything is in a wonderful place. um, It's just, I think it's a balance. And so really understanding who you are as a designer, what type of personality you have. Um, is really, really critical in that pursuit. Um, and, and really, I think what this forum is to talk about, at least this section of the forum, is diversifying your portfolio. If it's one thing the three of us can, I think, talk to, yeah. is, is understanding both sides of that spectrum. Michael, I think you hit on something that was very key, really kind of knowing who you are as a designer and as an individual, right? Because if you know you're the type of person that definitely requires that extra structure, I definitely think that corporate is the right block to be in, right? Because you're going to get that guidance, they're going to keep you on track, etc. And then for me, I have a very outgoing personality. I'm very bubbly. Sometimes I can say crazy things. And, you know, I have to tone that down a little bit for the corporate side, but it's actually quite welcomed in the smaller startup aspect of it. Um, And I realized that I thrived very well in the startup smaller business because I have a hunger for, I constantly want to learn and know new things. And I felt that within the certain types of corporate settings that I was in, I kind of hit a ceiling and couldn't go anywhere else. And it's like, well, trying to like peep up and like, see what else can I, oh, no, I can't go. Okay. But then with that small startup, it was like, oh, can I? And they're like, oh, you're interested? Sure. Come. What else can we put on your plate? Let's design. So I think it does come down to who you are as a person and what you're trying to achieve for your career. But I think it's important to have that balance and diversity. I mean, design is constantly changing. I mean, this is 2021. Imagine when we first started. I mean, retail was the thing, right? Circuit City. Wow. Circuit City has gone. Um, not everybody's going to retail stores. So how do you stay relevant in today's design community, knowing that you might have another 30, 40, 20, 15 years to go? Design is changing so rapidly. And I think it's important to stay fresh and unique. And I, I think that allows that to happen by going between the two type of entities. Right. Yeah. There's a huge part of me that still believes in expert naivety as being a very important part of a young designer's life and understanding and being able to come in without a jaded perspective, without any baggage, without any, well, even any positive influx to what they're doing. Um, But there's still a huge part of me on the other side that knows in order to break or bend on something really well, you need to understand how people are doing it. Mm-hmm. And so going through processes that people say, well, we've been doing this for 50 years. We've been doing this for 20 years, 100 years. That's really important to go through it like the way people are, I guess, what the standard or what the, the, the populace or the majority is wanting to do so that you can really like find the gaps and the breaking points or the bending points, because that's the key, I think, for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Here in a corporation, that's what it's about. It's about penetrating and you know, breaking down what's always been done so that you can achieve greater things. Um, and then taking that same knowledge is so important in startup because you're teaching, you know, you know the optimization and you, you've pulled and you're connecting dots from so many experiences, so many experts from around the world. 
that you're able to, in, 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 at least, I guess, from our perspective, optimize, you know, a process or, or methodology. And so there's still that part of me that feels like with a young, just starting out, I would encourage get to know the way a lot of people are doing things, understand it, get into a dabble and just learn. You know, there's a lot of people I think all day today have been talking about like understanding different perspectives. And um, if it's anything I strive for in any team, it's that different. I think Phnom had a great point about how her diversified her, her team and what they look for in people is it's not about, you know, your title or how much money you've been making or what company you've been working for. It's like, who are you and what have you learned and what can you bring as a superpower that balances out a team? And that I think really brings success. So. It's a, this innovation because you're able to pull various different types of um, industries to another type of industry, right? Like, so you haven't just been pigeonholed and just doing X for a certain amount of years. You have experience in Y, Z, W, K, and L, and you're like, look, you've been doing this for 20 years. Okay, that's cool. I'm glad that's worked for you, but I have a couple of tricks up my sleeve that I think can help make this a little bit more successful. So yeah, it's definitely very interesting from that perspective to bring in a variety of Thrive Today is brought to you by Thrive by Design, a masterclass program designed to empower design professionals like you to unearth your highest potential, make exponential impact, master cultivating and landing opportunities, thus thriving in your career. Don't let the pinnacle of your career slip by. Take ownership of your future now. To learn more about the program, head over to our website, thrivebydesign.today. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N dot T-O-D-A-Y. There's something to be said for advocating for ourselves, our teams, and our organizations, right? I mean, I ran into this quite a bit, especially when I was running the incubator, the, the creative on the incubator. Um, you know, you're constantly negotiating. You're negotiating for your team members. You're negotiating for opportunities for them to learn and grow. But you're also negotiating for resources, a resource allocation. So the higher you go in your career, the more you grow. Um, especially if you're on you know, the management track, you're looking at, you know, P&L numbers, you're talking to business, and you're trying to basically do your best to, um, you know, validate why that kind of investment makes sense. Um, because the, the, the sad thing is, you know, in this chicken or egg story is as you grow and uh, in your career, as you move up ahead, if you haven't had some of those pivotal opportunities, it kind of is a ding because, you know, for me, speaking for myself, and I know Zoe and Michael, you guys have had similar experiences. You've had the opportunities to travel across uh, globally. You've been to manufacturing. We have industrial design backgrounds. And for us, that's really important. And, you know, you're talking a little bit about like uh, when I would come into a team meeting and I was in there in the room with junior designers, I could stand there and just, you know, very quickly call out, look at an engineering drawing and call out something that I saw was, you know, did not quite reflect the the manufacturing capabilities of our vendors because I had been to the source, I'd been there, I knew what could be done. And, um, and so the struggle a lot of times for junior and mid-level designers is, you know, when they're not equipped with that knowledge, 
it hurts the careers, but it more so it hurts their their companies, the, the folks they're working for. And so, so the challenge really is how do you advocate, you know, how do you advocate for the business leaders that this is in the best interest of not just the individual employees and talent engagement and retention, but also in terms of the best interest in terms of business, like it, it actually translates into dollars. Uh, I know Zoe, you had some success stories. So if you care to elaborate a little bit from your personal experience on that facet, that'd be great. Yes, sure. So for one example, uh, when I was with Office Depot, I was in charge of back to school. Um, and one of the things that I started doing when I first got there was engaging with the senior executive vice team, um, the merchants, all of the sourcing team and showing, okay, um, we need to put together an overall planogram of a cohesive story. These are the upcoming trends. So I literally put together trend stories boards, telling them the upcoming, like these are the key patterns, these are the key materials. And they were like, really, this is all going to be, you know, trending for this upcoming season. I'm like, yes, this is important. If not, we're going to miss the mark. Meanwhile, staples and office mats are going to start hitting these key trends. They listened to me. And then as they had branded vendors come in, because I was a part of the OEM side, they started noticing these trends that I was talking about. I'm like, oh, okay, Zoe clearly is on something. So they started including me in more and more um, trips, business meetings to say, let's put together a cohesive look, not just with the branded side. And so like that first year, I think we developed $4.5 million for just Q3 alone. And they were surprised with how successful it was. And they said, well, what are we gonna do the next year? We ended up doing it around the world trip to different vendors, seeing latest materials, trends, et cetera. The following year, it was $7.5 million. And then the third year was up to $10 million. So it's like really being able to show them this is what's happening out in the marketplace. And if you want to stay current, if you want to stay competitive against your against your uh, competitors, you have to kind of follow the trends that are happening or you're going to get left out and you're going to lose out on sales. I mean, the bottom line is we want to make money. Everybody wants to make money. The question is, how are we going to make it, right? So do you want to make it trickly or do you want to make it fast and effective and then have that customer come back and continue to come back because they see that you're doing and providing the right types of consumer products that they're looking for? Yeah. So if I could, too, I'm going to add a little bit to that. And I might call out if I could, you know, I think Bob Schwartz and Alistair Hamilton, you guys, earliest speakers of today, it hit me, you know, speaking just because I live it every day, but I haven't really heard too many people articulate it. Being a business of your own, or uh, you know, being a, a business expert of your own discipline was something that was said and so so important. And that's again why I think I advocate for understanding foundations before you get into certain areas of let's, let's even specifically call out the startup world, um, because that's it. I mean, you you've really you've really got to understand what it means to break down not just how to do the work, but break down what it takes to do the work and quantify it in a value. That's, it's always been the holy grail of design, quantifying its value and tell me why I need to pay for it now and not later. And why can't I, let's just push that out to next, you know, next quarter or our next funding round, whatever it might be. And uh, super, super important um, to grow, I think within the design and innovation world to understand that the methods and, and how to communicate with um, others. Actually, a lot of you in different panels had talked about how to change your language and the perspective of what design means in the forum you're talking to. You know, you're proposing you're proposing design or innovation as a value to a business owner that, in some instances, may have never experienced that before in their life. 
And so there's that catch 22. I know everybody, almost everybody on this forum has experienced that it's like, I need, I need to show you what the value is before you'll give me the, the credit to go and make that value. So this, that, that's that crazy barrier of, I need to show the value before I'm, I'm credited with being able to present the value. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's super important to keep, always learn from everybody, learn from your business. Don't just stay in design. Don't just stay in creativity, own yeah. that, but learn from everybody, learn from your business. I used to trade, I'll tell a story. I hope I'm not taking us over time, but when I was at a big, you know, Whirlpool, big Fortune 200 or whatever, I would trade lunch and learns as a young designer with business partners, drawing in Viscom to tell, for them to teach me how to, you know, create numbers and value propositions within the organization so that I had that under my tool belt. And um, these are those things that's funny when you get in the startup world, it's just shared. People just love to, I do this and I'm the expert of this and let me tell you and let me teach you. Uh, but in corporate, it was like it was an initiative. I had to like seek it out and go, guys, what if I did this? And, and it was wonderful because we were able to share. Mm. And I know that's kind of rare, but it was um, super valuable to understand their perspective. And it made every design proposal strategy that we made going forward that much more beautiful because we understood each other. Michael, I love that comment of the and the the method of lunch and learn to connect with those that you're working with. Um, you know, this is an I love this forum. We are creatives speaking to creatives, regardless if you're at a huge corporation, at a startup, you know, whether it's service design, UX or ID, we are speaking to you know, our compadres, right? But the other thing that you're talking about, which so many of you guys have referenced as well is learning to speak to the, your counterparts and connect with them and really align with them because that's where the opportunity surfaces. And I, I love that. I think that's a great comment to to you know, end this talk on. Um, Can I just add one thing really quickly? I was gonna yes. say a great way to connect with people, especially your colleagues is when you're traveling with them because you have mm -hmm. so much one-on-one -on -one time and you're like, you yes. can't escape me and this is the reason why design is important. We need to make these impacts. So, yeah. yeah. And here, here to the travel again. I can't wait, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for your um, stories, your insights. And uh, for any of you guys that are wondering about pivoting and what it's like to segue from one type of world to another, here, here are some great examples. These guys have um, shared how they found their, their path, you know. Um, thank you, guys. Such an amazing discussion. I hope you learned a lot from Zoe, Michael, and Manali. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and subscribe to Designing Futures and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. Let's grow and learn together. Stay tuned to the next episode where we'll be listening to Huang Shen Chen and John Jameson regarding how design consultancy firms can create a huge impact on enterprise corporations. Goodbye and talk to you next week.